Welcome to the Success is Subjective podcast series brought to you by the College Parent Survival Network presented by Lily Consulting. I'm your host, Joanna Lilly. In today's episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing Kellen Smythe. Kellen's unconventional journey to working with youth began with an early start in higher education. After earning his master's in applied mathematics from the University of Washington, he spent nine years teaching college mathematics. Throughout those years, Kellen found himself mentoring students who had experienced a failure to launch. Feeling a pull towards supporting students outside the classroom, Kellen earned his certification as a behavioral coach. He spent eight years coaching underperforming students who struggled with anxiety, depression, and waning motivation, many of whom successfully started their road to recovery through outdoor behavioral health programs. Kellen also spent five years as the director of admissions at a nationally acclaimed residential young adult program. His experience in education, admissions, and coaching has earned him an exceptional reputation in the treatment community. His thorough and warm approach was a natural fit when he joined the Pacific Quest team in 2014, where he is currently the director of admissions. Kellen is an accomplished outdoorsman and an avid martial artist. He and his wife live in Oregon, where they explore the outdoor magic of the Pacific Northwest with their two boys. Here's Kellen. Kellen, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me, John. I appreciate it. And thanks for the flexibility and all the timing. Yeah, of course. Well, you're a dad, so it makes sense, right? Flexibility is like your middle name at this point. <laughs> right. I, I will say that as I get older, I get have to get more mentally flexible, but that certainly hasn't translated physically. <laughs> I'm <laughs> less and less limber each day. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Let's... Um, Let's just dive right in. Why don't you tell our listeners, where did you grow up and what were you hearing from your immediate family about post-secondary education? And then kind of in in the area in which you were raised, what were you hearing about kind of the cultural expectations around post-secondary education? And I know your story is a little bit unique, so feel free to kind of answer this and share however you, you, you need to do that. Yeah. I mean, so I was thinking about this podcast this morning and I was kind of formulating my thoughts about young adulthood and what it was like for me to emerge into young adulthood and how that translated to uh, my experience of working with young adults who are going through this process. And what came to mind is sort of this, this how there's a confluence of narratives, a confluence of stories that kind of happen as you become, you know, 18, 19, 20, into your, you know, 20s. Uh, and so all these little stories that are evolving as you grow up start to come together and really kind of create uh, a, a more clear and defined path of how you're going to experience the world and how the world's going to experience you. Where while you're younger, all of that is kind of up in the air. It's hard to say how all that will come together. It just it comes a lot more into focus at that point. So it, as I reflect back, on my young adulthood, I feel like there's kind of two main narratives that came together to develop all of this. So uh, one of which is just sort of my origin story of being born in a family with a whole lot of, I mean, you might call it dysfunction, we just call it that. Uh, and having this experience where when I was about five, my mother took me away from uh, my biological family and we ended up adopting the identity of dead people living on the run from the government and from and from uh, my biological father, that had all of its own kind of dimensions to it. Um, but it created this world where I was somewhat isolated uh, from traditional education. I couldn't go to traditional 
you know, uh, schools for fear of being discovered through that process. Um, and so it meant that I had this homeschooled experience and it was actually really wonderful. I was really well suited for homeschooling. I loved being on a farm. Uh, we lived in, I grew up in Bend, Oregon, uh, on a little farm just outside of Bend. And we had sheep and 10 acres and ponds and all kinds of fun stuff. And I just had a ton of independence out there. And I, and I was a, I, I did have some learning differences, eventually diagnosed with dyslexia. Um, but the way it showed up for me, fortunately, spell check had been in, you know, developed at that point. And so I was able to kind of move through that without too much grief. Uh, but nonetheless, academics, you know, really were something I kind of enjoyed. So that's kind of one part of the dimension is just this family kind of strangeness around my identity, like quite literally my legal identity. Um, the other dimension that came along in parallel with that and, and really sort of took over as I got a little older was um, I was one of those kids who, in particular mathematics, but most academics came pretty easy to me. Uh, and I think that I was very fortunate to have some great tutors who appreciated that and helped me get into a college track pretty early. Uh, so I started at a community college in Bend right when I was 14 and just kind of ran from there. So I don't have a high school degree or any high school equivalency. I just kind of went to college. And when I finished my bachelor's degree, I think it was 18, and uh, in, applied, in applied and pure mathematics, I went right into um, grad school at the University of Washington uh, for an applied mathematics master's program. So I was one of those kids that like that all just kind of came easy to me. So that the overall message, this is getting back to your question, was uh, the overall message was you're so smart, you're so smart, you're so gifted, you're so smart, you're so gifted. And up to a point that seemed to be true because I was a, I think, kind of like a normal sized fish in a teeny tiny pond. <laughs> Right? Like in my little homeschool group, I was the top of my class. And in my, you know, community college, I was the young kid who, you know, his mom dropped him off at school every day. So I did have this perception of like, yeah, you've got this. Um, but certainly as I got into grad school, I appreciated that that wasn't necessarily true. There's lots of really bright people out there. And in addition to being bright enough, you also have to have like a whole lot of skills. So uh, that ended up being a bit of challenge for me as I got you know further into it. So yeah, I'm not sure if that's answering your question, but it's really just that kind of confluence of stories of like, you know, we have this like family strife on the back end and then this this kind of narrative about, you know, what I'm perceived to be capable of. Well, and it's so it's it actually challenges the question too that I would usually follow this up with and just in terms of that like transition, what the transition looks like into your emerging adult years. Well, if you're starting community college classes at the age of 14, we're talking about a major clash or intersection of what typically exists in terms of the 17 or 18 or older who's finally transitioning out of like the home sphere right. and like what that adjustment period looks like. But you've had that transition as early as five, right? And then fast forward to 14 and now in grad school at 18, which is usually the start of young people finally going or starting any type of collegiate experience. So your timeline in all of this transition is just so atypical, but it's also fascinating so I'm kind of curious too, if you could speak to that. I know you said, you know, I was more of a kind of big 
big fish in a small-ish pond in the <laughs> yeah. bent area. <laughs> yeah. I would call it medium, pretty normal size okay, fish. Me- yeah. Medium fish. Okay, sorry. Medium fish in the small pond. I'm curious if you could actually share a little bit about kind of your transition experience being 18 and in grad school in a different place. Because I'm assuming you went to Washington. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To so then start classes. I think by the time I started at, at UW, I think I was 19, and it it honestly is a little unclear because I grew up with a birthday that wasn't quite my own, and then later on, it is now this my real birthday. So it's a little bit dicey on the, the time, but I think it was like 18 or it was like 19, I think, when I started at UW. Um, but nonetheless, I kind of got a little bit of a clue that I was going to be in over my head a little bit before I went to UW and kind of my last, I did say my last quarter at University of Oregon where I did my undergrad, I started taking some uh, just kind of the final advanced courses and I, I had plenty of credits. So I was taking just classes that I thought might kind of, you know, I might enjoy. And it turned out they were super, super hard. And I didn't have like the loving kind of supportive <laughs> um, professors that I had had at community college. And it was more of like, yeah, dude, like figure this out. So I, I really struggled in a couple of those classes, and that was that was surprising to me that I had to actually work a little bit. Um, but when I got to grad school, it was, I mean, it was pretty clear. I think there were 15 people in my in my cohort, and you know, one of them was from Stanford, and one of them was from Cornell, and like these are like really, really, really smart people who not only have that kind of intellectual prowess, but also they've been trained since a very early age on how to study. And I just didn't. I was the kid who was like, oh, I'll just do my homework in class and then turn it in. And it was always that. Um, So yeah, so I definitely felt wildly underprepared for that experience. Uh, I certainly had, you know, kind of the foundation of the the knowledge base that I needed, I think, to be successful in grad school. And I I was, I mean, I think I got kind of middle of my class there. But that experience was very, very challenging for me. And so the the program I was in, you, you started kind of in a master's program, and then you would take these qualifying exams to transition into the PhD program. My my goal certainly was to transition to the PhD program, right? I was that I was like, oh yeah, I'm a smart kid. Of course, I'm going to the PhD track. And the way it worked is you had uh, there were these uh, three exams you take. They were several hours. I want to say they're like four or five hours long. You take three of those uh, for three days. And then there's like, there's linear algebra, there's uh, differential equations, and then there's just advanced math, and it was pretty much anything goes kind of thing. And so there really wasn't a study guide for that, other than that these are the topics, here's some examples of other tests that we've done in past years. And if you do well enough, but don't pass, you can take them a second time uh, later in the year. Uh, Or if you do well enough, then you can just pass. And I think maybe one person passed it in the first round, And then the second round, I think maybe three or four people passed. Uh, And I certainly wasn't one of them (laughs) on either occasion. And I, I remember being like, just kind of crushed by this idea that like, I'm overwhelmed with like managing this. And then also just this like personal dimension of, you know, I had a girlfriend at a different school and I just didn't have any of those skills to kind of manage all of those aspects. Um, And then I think most people at some point in their life experience some level of like running into a brick wall. Uh, And for me, it felt like that brick wall was somehow the boundary of my identity. Like I'd wrap my whole self around just being the smart kid. And it turned out I was just kind of a regular person, which turned, which is actually a good thing in the long run. (laughs) Um, But at that moment in time, it really felt like 
if I'm not this smart kid that everything comes easy to, and I, I literally can't bring myself to kind of put the pieces together, then really, what am I? I mean, yeah, it was kind of devastating. And yet at the same time, like that is such a normal existential crisis for totally. an emerging adult. Totally. Right now, of course, in that exact moment, you are, like you said, devastated. Like, right. this is my identity. What does this mean? Right. Which then it just opens your world to all of the other possibilities. Yep. You're listening to the Success is Subjective podcast, and I'm your host, Joanna Lilly. As a reminder, if you've missed any past episodes, you can catch them on Apple Podcasts. My guest today is Kellen Smythe. So I'm kind of curious then, like, at that crossroads, maybe that's how I'm perceiving it, and maybe you can describe it otherwise. Like, well, what did you do next? I don't, I mean, I tend to think of things in terms of, uh, I don't, I don't really think there was anything I did special, really. I mean, I think I just got lucky. Like, let's be honest, most white middle-class men, right? Like we're just, I'm sort of surrounded by opportunity. <laughs> so yeah, I ran into this obstacle where my identity clashed with reality. Uh, and that could have devolved in some sort of situation where I discover drugs and like go off the rails in some way or another. Uh, but fortunately, you know, while my family had a good deal of dysfunction, I also had like an amazing community. I remember calling my a physics professor from undergrad and just literally sobbing on the phone. Like, I'm an idiot, man. Bruce, like, what do I do? And he's like, oh, that, they're just trying to make you feel that way. That's <laughs> that's normal, man. It's all good. And I came back to the community college where I started at, which I think is, I don't know if there's anyone else <laughs> who works at a community college who didn't have that kind of journey at some level. But that's, yeah, I came back after my master's program uh, and taught there uh, because it was safe and familiar and comfortable. And I could kind of go back to like, rebuilding some esteem. And um, while I wasn't, there's this interesting thing about math, by the way. So you can be sharp in math and you can have all kinds of you know skills and, and be really good. And I was definitely one of those people that like, it kind of came easy to me and I could learn it, but I wasn't, I wasn't like special. <laughs> and I didn't know that until I spent time in grad school. And there were like two people in my program that I was like, oh, you're special. <laughs> and uh, but it turns out I am that way with educating and I love teaching. And so I really kind of built myself back up through teaching. I taught at that community college for nine years and I loved it. Like I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and it allowed me to kind of like reaffirm that, yeah, you're not special in that way that maybe you thought you were, but you do have some insights and some, some things that maybe not everybody does have in this other way that maybe you didn't think of. And that really turned out to be uh, huge for me. In parallel to that, I also connected with this program that was kind of helping emerging young adults, College Excel and Bend, Oregon, attached to that college there. And I, in some ways, really just maturated, like in that space. That was a place where other kids were going through an experience, you know, a few steps before where I was academically, but emotionally, we're probably the same space, like just trying to figure ourselves out. Um, and so I had kind of a community of people to help me maturate. I had a great therapist who was helping me work through this. Um, and it, it was really instrumental. I mean, it was the, the rebuilding of kind of who I am. You hit on a couple points that are really important. The community piece, right? Because if you don't have a network of some, in some way, shape or form, whether it's peers or whether it's, you know, a previous professor that you can call and like just have a sounding board, then we do feel really isolated. And that's where some of those spirals kind of play out that you and I see yep. quite often. Yep. Um, and so it's very fortunate that you were able to come back and like you said, rebuild, right? Okay, so here's my identity. 
that was just shattered instead of like sitting in this place of feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm stuck. What do I do? You went back to a a safety net or that kind of home space, which there's no shame in that. I want to be like really clear and highlighting like that's, that's great that you did that because it was familiar, right? It was convenient. And it gave you the ability to then rebuild those what we call like little wins, right? right? Like I needed, you needed to rebuild yourself. And again, your identity is constantly forming. So it's not just like, oh, I'm the the math guy and that's who I am. It is like, I'm an educator, right? Like I'm a, I'm an adult male, like all, all of those intersections. So I'm curious then, how did you get from where you were before to where you are now? Oh, so uh, again, I think a little bit of luck. So <laughs> I, um, yeah, so I was teaching at this college, right? And then I was working with these, started just by doing tutoring and helping some of those kids who are going through the transition program. And obviously a lot of the folks who go through those transition programs end up having some kind of step before that, where they do maybe an outdoor behavioral health intervention. And uh, I had seen kids who came through a whole range of, you know, the, the different wilderness programs out there. And I always felt like they just had deeper insights, kind of the, the insights I wish I had. Uh, and in particular, the, the version of those insights that I most found myself connecting with were the kids who had gone through Pacific Quest, right? Um, so Pacific Quest is a shameless plug, works really well, I think, with those internalizing kind of kids. And I was certainly one of them. Uh, I definitely wasn't like a risky kind of acting out kind of young adult. Uh, anything, I was kind of fearful of most things that were scary. So um, I really connected, I feel like, with that population and in doing so also connected with their team. Uh, and we would do kind of events together at various conferences and, you know, work collaboratively on cases. And uh, when it came time for me to transition out of college, Excel, I quite literally got a Facebook message. It was like, hey, you should come work for us. And I did. So here I am now. It's seven years later as the admissions director here. Oh, it's amazing. And sh- shameless plugs are totally welcome. So why, okay, why don't you give like another like sentence or two about like where is Pacific Quest and any other information that you might want to share about your program? Yeah, of course. So Pacific Quest is a, uh, a blend of uh, the outdoor behavioral health world with our kind of experiential learning, uh, the rites of passage, the, the really kind of outdoor-based interventions with some of the resources and clinical tools of a residential program. Uh, all of our kids are sleeping indoors every night, they're taking showers every day. We've got, you know, night staff, we've got uh, four-day-a-week therapy, psychiatrists, nurses, the whole, the whole works. All of that is really kind of concentrated on working with folks who are largely internalizing their distress. And that's a differentiator between in traditional wilderness programs that tend to focus more on students who are kind of acting out, engaged in high-risk behavior, substance abuse, that kind of thing. Uh, so Pacific Quest uh, kids are certainly struggling, but the victims of that struggle is usually themselves, sometimes their families. So all of that is kind of happening on the Big Island of Hawaii, on the Hilo side of the Big Island, small groups. It's like eight in our young adult program and 16 in the adolescent program. Um, same kind of duration of stay, around 10 or 12 weeks, um, short-term intervention assessment and portability, kind of looking at how to transition that stuff out into either programs or schools or other resources. And you said you've been there for seven years. I mean, like, yeah. talk about time flies. So I'm just going to ask you this question because I, I ask everybody that that decides to subject themselves to being a guest on this podcast. <laughs> Do you see yourself as successful? 
Yeah, and, and I've had to really kind of redefine that. And I don't know that that necessarily means lowering the bar, but also just appreciating some of the things in my life that are most important. And, that, and I feel like that success thing just, yeah, it gets kind of, it gets changes every t every day. Like I used to put all of my value of achievement in academics, right? Like at A+, plus, I was never satisfied with like a 98. I want 101. I want the extra credit. Uh, and then that kind of shifted into you know, as you start therapy for the first time as a young man, you have to be like the most insightful, like I want to be the guy who kind of like has the world figured out. And that, that became really important. And then in, really kind of focus more on uh, relationships. Like, do I have the right girlfriend or partner, you know, and then you kind of move into those more economical things. Like, can I buy a house and can I do all those things? And now for me, success is, is just trying to get to the day with my boys and be as present and mindful and patient with them as possible. And most days I feel like I'm successful in that endeavor and some days I'm not. So I'd say at the moment, my measure of success, I'm, I'm sort of meeting that bar on most occasions. It vacillates, right? That's yeah. what I'm hearing <laughs> so, you say. Strikes and gutters, man. <laughs> strikes and gutters. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Okay. So if you could give one piece of advice then to a young adult who is you know, struggling, whether it's all of a sudden realizing that they're now a small fish in a really big pond or, you know, like whatever the analogy may be, just what piece of advice would you give an emerging adult right now? I don't know. I mean, there's, I think there's all kinds of really cliche things I could say, be like, oh, well, you know, be kind to yourself. Not, you certainly should do all of those things. I'm going to offer something that's a little different. I'm going to say, go do a martial art, go do jujitsu. Go do something that's like wildly outside of your comfort zone. Like start, go practice being a beginner, basically. And I, for me, martial arts was kind of a place I could do that. Um, and I did that right around the same time. I started jujitsu when I was like 24 or something like that. And it, I mean, it was so good for me. Now as I think back on this in the moment, I'm like, that was so good for me to just go back and be a beginner in something. Um, so I guess that would be my advice is find something and go be a beginner again. Like it's it's the time to go reinvent yourself. I love that. I mean, it kind of speaks to your your time period of, of the rebuilding, right? Like the mm -hmm. the re-strengthening, the evolution of your identity yep. as a young adult. So that's that's actually a solid reminder, even for me as a millennial. Like, yeah, I do need to go do something. Maybe yeah. I can pick up, like, you know, I don't know, go martial arts. Yeah, for real. <laughs> we'll be a beginner. And again, jujitsu for me was was the tool for that. I uh, could have easily, you know, picked up a musical instrument or something, some other thing. But I just think it's good for pe people, especially young people who are so attached, you're like so attached to this identity you kind of have to have like something else you can kind of jump to, you know, and, and that I think would be, I don't know, I imagine that'd be helpful for some people. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a humbling experience, right? Yeah. To constantly <laughs> be in a place where you are learning something new, because I think we do, especially as a society, we say at 18, you're supposed to go to college, you're supposed to know what you want to do for yeah. the rest of your life. And here's this linear path where you're supposed to check all these boxes when in reality, that's just not how life is. Um, not at all. And, and yeah. or we set it up so that, you know, if somebody's striving for the 101, not the 98, right. then all of a sudden when they do experience any type of adversity, whether it's in the classroom or in a social experience, it is earth shattering. And so really yep. to to have those experiences where you're constantly uh, learning and growing and, and adapting is is paramount to growth. Okay. You rock. So I'm going to ask this question. How can people connect with you? Because I'm sure that, you know, 
I didn't even dive into this piece about your like identity growing up. And I'm sure there's going to be some people that are going to listen to this and be like, wait, what? I need to hear more. So how can people connect with you? Yeah, of course. So uh, probably the easiest way, there's not a lot of Kellen Smice out there. You can certainly Google me. That's one way to do it. Uh, PacificQuest.org, www.PacificQuest.org. You can find my email and my info there. You reach out. Uh, I'm happy to, to connect. Um, and you're welcome to throw my contact info on the podcast if that's helpful for folks, for sure. I'm always Perfect. happy to chat with folks. We definitely will. We'll have all that in the, the show notes for this episode. So thanks again, Kellen, for squeezing me in in between your boys today. <laughs> I appreciate the flexibility again. this week's success is subjective episode stay tuned for our next episode where you can bet it'll be another amazing human sharing their very personal story with the world you can follow me joanna on instagram at lily consulting and on facebook at lily consulting llc most importantly though check out the resources link on my website at lilyconsulting.com and that's l-i-l-l-e-y consulting.com or you can just search on google for lily consulting you can also download and subscribe to listen to the successes subjective interviews on any popular podcast app such as apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, soundcloud spotify stitcher and TuneIn radio make sure you check out the show notes where you'll find contact information, website details, links to articles, and all social media for our guest. Thank you, our listener, for tuning in. And remember, there is no single path through life. Success is what you make it.